The Lord has been dealing with me about this sermon for a while. And in fact, uh, when, when my wife and I were taking our educational requirements for, to receive our ministerial credentials, one of the, one of the courses is, is homiletics. Homiletics teaches you how to prep for a sermon. It tells you how to build an expository sermon, how to build a textual sermon, or a topical sermon. But basically, it teaches you to give three points and a poem. And like Pastor J.R. would say, I too am probably a homiletics professor's nightmare. But I do try to uh, use what I have learned from time to time. You know, but sometimes God just wants you just to deliver a word. And uh, I believe that sometimes we get hung up on, on trying to say something when we just need to say something. God didn't call us to be eloquent in speech. He told us to preach the word. He said to be instant in season and out of season. He told, Paul told Brother Titus, to speak of the things which are of sound doctrine. But back to, back to my original story when Missy and I was prepping for our homiletics course. This was the sermon that God gave me. Um, and the title of it is, is What Meaneth Then This? 1 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, to get the full account of what is happening here, we, we have to read the entire chapter. Uh, this is a true story between the Lord, Samuel, and Saul. The Lord, uh, the Lord told Samuel to tell Saul to fix a problem with the Amalekites. And God laid out instructions on, on what to do. You know, but Saul, he decides he wants to try to manage God. And Saul wanted to do what Saul wanted to do. Uh, little, a little bit of history. Samuel was a Levite who just so happens to be the last judge of Israel. He was also Israel's first prophet. His mother was Hannah. Hannah was barren. Hannah praised God through her barrenness. She continually prayed to God so much that she was perceived as drunk in the spirit when she was actually drunk in the spirit. Have you ever been just falling down drunk in the spirit? I mean, have you just been so saturated that you just can't walk? You, need, you needed someone to help you to your car? You talk about starting a revival. That kind of revival would change our homes. That kind of revival would change our marriages. That kind of revival would change our children. That kind of revival would change our churches. That kind of revival would change our pastors and Sunday school teachers. That kind of revival would change nations. That kind of revival would turn this hell-bound world upside down for the cause of Christ. Oh God, would you allow it to happen one more time? Eli comes to Hannah, tells her to put her put away her strong drink, and she she tells Eli that I'm I'm not drunk. But I have just poured out my spirit before the Lord. Now Samuel was, Samuel was the one where as a young boy, God established him as the prophet of the Lord. The Lord had Samuel's ear. Samuel wanted his sons to be judges over Israel. But they did not walk in his ways and turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. But all the elders of Israel said to Samuel, give us a king to judge us. This was not God's order. God's plan for Israel was to not be like other nations. God was their king and he would rule over them directly. But in 1 Samuel 8, God says that they have rejected me as king. They didn't want God's word through a prophet. They wanted a strong man to strong arm them. And the Lord said, all right, here's your king. And the Lord gave them Saul, 
to be king over Israel. 1 Samuel 15. Samuel said, also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed them on the way when they came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And do not spare them. And kill both man, woman, infant, nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telem. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, took him alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Verse 10, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your, your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Malachites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord has sent me and brought back Agag, king of the Malachites. I'm sorry, the king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. 
So Samuel said, verse 22, so Samuel said, has the, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as of the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Just a little bit further. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of your Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned around to go away. Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it, and Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Malachites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As the sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went on to Ramah, and Saul went up from his house in Gibeah of Saul. Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The title of my message, I've already stated, what meaneth then this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we have to come together, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint my lips, Lord. Your word's already anointed. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to deliver the word that you've given me. And we'll be careful to give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Scriptures 1 through 3 present a clear and definite command. And it's to destroy Amalek. This was a message from from God's prophet of Israel to the general of the military of Israel. The message was clearly laid out. Saul was told to punish Amalek for what he had did to Israel and to destroy, utterly destroy all that they have and to not spare them. God clearly told Samuel to tell Saul to bring total judgment against the Amalekites. The word utterly destroy is used seven times in this account. The idea of total, complete judgment was certainly stressed. They were to be judged completely. The Malachites were the first people to attack Israel after their escape from Egypt. Hundreds of years before this moment, the Lord said he would bring this kind of judgment against Amalek. Exodus 17 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner, for he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Deuteronomy 25, 17-19 also says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and, and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest 
from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord God has given you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. God said to utterly destroy the Malachites. He said to kill both man, infant, woman, nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Destroy it all. All means all. If you don't destroy it all, it will rise up in the future and it will try to overtake you. It's kind of like a crepe myrtle tree. You can't hardly kill those things. You cut them off at the ground, in a few days it's got a sprout coming right back up. You have to dig the whole root ball up. You have to get, take everything in that area out from there. This is what God is talking about. Destroy it all so that it will not rise up again. The Malachites committed atrocities against Israel. When Israel was weak and vulnerable, and the Amalekites attacked the weakest and the most vulnerable. The only reason they did this was only for violence and greed. God hates it when strong people take cruel advantage over the weak, especially when the weak are his people. This attack happened more than 400 years before Samuel told Saul to destroy them. And God still held it against the Malachites because time does not erase sin before God. Time cannot atone for sin before God. What can atone for sin? It's only the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing for the, but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not for good, of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me whiter than snow. No other fount that I know. Nothing, 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 nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's the blood that can make atonement for our sins. Nothing else. The blood of Jesus will make atonement for our sins. The Malachites were given a merciful opportunity to repent. But they chose not to. The hundreds of years of hardened, unrepentant hearts made them even more guilty of their sin. God could have pronounced judgment on Amalek as he did in times past. But God had a special purpose for doing this for his nation, Israel. It was to be a test of obedience for Saul and all of Israel. God wanted to make a lasting impression on the sin of Amalek. But God had a completely different purpose. But God now has a completely different call for Christians today under the new covenant than what he did under Israel, under the old covenant. John 18, 36, Jesus speaking to Pilate, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. God no longer calls his people to take up arms as, as instruments of, of his judgment. It does, however, not mean that God has stopped judging the nations. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus is the righteous judge. Judgment is coming. Yeah. Revelation 19, 2 says, for true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupt the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Rest assured, as well as I'm standing here today, Matt, judgment's coming. Brother Steve, judgment's coming. Church, judgment is coming. It's coming without a doubt. Matthew 25, 33 says, He will separate the sheep from the goats. You don't want to be a goat. Amen. Trust me on this. Amen. You don't want to be a goat. You don't want to be on the side with the goats. If you're a goat, you will cooperate with the Antichrist. The sheep will go to his right, and all the goats will be cast to the left. I want to be on the side of the right. 
Go with me to verse 4. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telem, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Malachites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Malachites. Saul was certainly a leader. He could gather and organize a large army quickly. He knew, and he also knew how to time his attack uh, properly. He knew to lay in the lay wait in the valley. And Saul told the Kenites to get out of here. He shows them a little wisdom and a little mercy by letting them go. But God's judgment wasn't wasn't upon them. God's judgment was upon the Malachites. He didn't want to destroy. He didn't want to destroy them with the Amalekites. Verses, uh, verse 7 says, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Saul started off good, and he was somewhat obedient to the Lord. But it was when he started, but it was his selective and incomplete obedience, which is disobedience to the Lord. Saul took Agag, king of the Malachites, alive. What did God tell him to do? Kill him. Utterly destroy all the people with the edge of the sword. God commanded Saul to bring his judgment on all the people, including the king. This, is always, this has always been the problem with Christians. We desire to destroy everything that is vile and evil, but we find it difficult to destroy the best. This pertains to every earthly thing that we, we put our trust in. Anything that becomes an object of our faith, other than the cross and Christ crucified, no matter how good it is in our sight, must be destroyed. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lamb. And all that was good and were unwilling to, to utterly destroy them. God clearly commanded that Saul did this, and Saul did not do this. Back then, armies were free to plunder their conquered enemies. This was how, this was how they were paid. But it was wrong for anyone in Israel to benefit from the war against the Amalekites because it was an appointed judgment from God. This was just as wrong as a prison warden taking the money from a the man's pockets that he just executed for murder. God told him to utterly destroy it all. Everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. But they were careful to keep the best for themselves. We can, we can imagine that they were all pleased with what they, what they gained after the battle. This has to be the worst of all because Israel did not show God's heart and judgment. When they came home boasting and bragging of what they gained from the battle, they implied there was something joyful or happy about God's judgment. And this dishonored God. God brings his judgment reluctantly and without pleasure. He longs that men would repent instead of judgment being handed down. It was partial obedience on Saul's part, which is complete disobedience. Saul and his men obeyed to a certain point, but they chose to spare the good and to destroy the worthless. 
What didn't have value, they destroyed. What had value, they kept. And this is how we are to Scripture. We take and obey what's good for us, but we turn a blind eye to what the Word tells us to get rid of. You don't want to look at that. To spare the best of Amalek is equivalent to sparing our favorite sin. There are some things that are sin in our lives that God has told you to utterly destroy. This is a word for somebody. This is a warning shot fired from God. That sin that God has told you to deal with was just brought to your attention by the Holy Spirit just now. That sin that God has told you to utterly destroy, you are now playing with it. You're entertaining it. You've made place in your home for it. God has told you to destroy it, and you have decided to keep it because the devil has portrayed it as good and enjoyable. Destroying Agag stands for destroying self-gratification. And to spare Agag is to have mercy on ourselves and to condone our favorite sin. What we watch on the internet. Do we run over to Louisiana to the casino? How we talk about people behind their backs. How we conspire behind people's backs for our own personal gain. How we spitefully procrastinate after a superior on the job has told us to do something. All sin is favorite sin. If you didn't like something about it, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. If you didn't get a small thrill about committing sin, you wouldn't do it. I've came today to tell you God is calling you to ultimately and destroy it today. Get it under the blood. Don't mess with it any longer. Get it under the blood today. Go with me to verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I have greatly regretted I have set up Saul as king for he has turned back from, me, turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. God's heart was broken over Saul's disobedience. Saul was not a good man and eventually went his own way in disobedience. God explained himself to man in human terms when he says, I greatly regret. Mankind can have some understanding of God's heart with this statement. God knew from the beginning what Saul was going to do. And God had already set for himself a man after his own heart, which would be David. God's heart was not emotionless at all as all this came to pass. Saul's disobedience hurt God. We can't grasp all the things, all that happens in God's heart. The closest that we can come is for God to express it in human terms by saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. It grieves Samuel. And Samuel cried out to God, to the Lord all night. Samuel had God's heart. It hurt God to reject Saul. And it hurt Samuel to see him rejected. We are close to God's heart. The things that grieve us grieve him as well. Go to verse 12. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel. Indeed, he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Samuel had now come to discipline the disobedient king. 
The statement that he had set up a monument for himself shows how proud Saul was of himself. Saul wasn't one bit grieved over his sin. He was, in fact, quite pleased with himself. There was no shame or guilt in Saul, even though he directly disobeyed the Lord. God had, God had chose Dave, David to replace Saul as king. David is known as a man after God's own heart. Even though David would disobey God, the difference between him and Saul was great. David felt the guilt and the shame for his sin. Saul did not. His conscience was dead to shame, and his heart was dead to God. Saul's conscience was so seared so badly that he could directly disobey God and set up a statue for himself, which is what he did. This revealed the pride in Saul's heart. Woe to us when we have developed such a hardened heart that we are not sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Woe to us. Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Saul came to Samuel with such boldness, boasting of his obedience because of his, or his perceived obedience because of his pride. Saul was self-deceived. He really believed what he told Samuel. The deception says, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Pride always leads us into self-deception. Verse 14 says, But Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He said to him, speak on. The livestock that God clearly commanded to be killed could be heard. Saul had said, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. This is the case where pride and disobedience makes us blind and deaf to our sin. What was completely obvious to Samuel was invisible to Saul. We, we all are blind to certain sins in our lives. We need God to show it to us. Psalm 139, 23-24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Malachites, and people spared the best of the sheep and oxen. Saul laid blame on the people, not himself. He included himself in the, in the obedience he justified what he kept because of its fine quality, the best of the sheep and the oxen. And he claimed to do it with, for a spiritual reason, so they could sacrifice to your God. This all made perfect sense to Saul, but it meant nothing to God and Samuel. In fact, it's worse. It showed that Saul was desperately trying to excuse his sin we make up all kinds of excuses for our sin. We make time for our sin. We love to share our sin with others. But God has told us to utterly destroy it. To destroy it. Saul revealed the real problem. His relationship with God was not where it needed to be. He, tell, he tells Samuel to sacrifice to your God. He was saying that the Lord was not Saul's God. Saul was his own God. The Lord was the God of Samuel, not Saul. Saul removed the God from the throne of his heart because of his pride. It's just like today. We're okay with Jesus being the Savior of our souls, but we have a problem with him being Lord over all. That's like children being okay with their parents as long as the parents doesn't get to be their parent. To be a true Christ follower, Christ has to be your Lord. Saul even lies when he says, we have utterly destroyed. There were still Amalekites alive. David later had to deal with them 
in 1 Samuel 27. Caleb, can you go to that scripture for me? Haman, the evil man who tried to wipe out the Jewish people in the days of Esther, was a descendant of Agag. And here's the irony. When Saul was killed in battle, it was an Amalekite that finally killed Saul. I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul when David had returned from the slaughter of the Malachites that David had stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man, had, that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his heads. So it was when he came to David that he fell on the ground and prostrated himself. And David said, Where have you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, the people had fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan and his son are dead also. So David said to the young man, who, who, told, who told him? How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? The young, man said to, the young man said, who told him said, the young man who told him said, as I happen to be here, be by chance to be here on Mount Geboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me, and he called to me. And I answered, Here am I. And he, said, and he said to me, Who are you? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, and for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. But I took the crown from his head and the bracelet was on his arm and have brought him here to my Lord. When we don't obey God completely, the portion that we don't utterly destroy will surely, surely come back and destroy us, as was the Malachite that killed Saul. Samuel told Saul to be quiet. Samuel had had enough. He did not want to listen to what Saul had to say anymore. It was just another lame excuse. It was time for Saul to shut his mouth and to listen to, to what Samuel had to say. But even in this, Saul can't shut up. He tells Samuel to speak on, as if the prophet of God needed permission from Saul to speak. Samuel would speak on, but not because Saul gave him permission. He would speak because he was a messenger from God. Samuel tells him, were you? Were you, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? It's verse 17. And did not did the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the Malachites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why did, they not, why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you not swoop down on the spoil and, even, and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And, and Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of, the Malachite, king of Amalek. And I have utterly destroyed the Malachites. But the people took the plunder, the sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Now the Lord sent you on a mission. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? This was the most apparent of Saul's sins. God gave him a specific command to directly disobey it. Disobedience was the most noticeable sin. But the root of Saul's disobedience is far, far worse. It was pride. Saul reminded, Samuel reminded Saul by saying, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? It could no longer be said of Saul that you were little in his own eyes because he was now big in his own eyes. Saul still insists that he's innocent. He says that I've obeyed the voice of the Lord and that immediately described how he did not obey the voice of the Lord, saying that he brought back Agag, king of Amalek. Saul's statement that he made was what I have said. I have utterly 
destroyed the Malachites. That is plain evidence of power and depth of his self-deception. There was an Amalekite right in front of him. And he told him, I've destroyed them all. Then, after insisting that he's innocent, Saul then blamed the people for his sin. His statement was a half-true, which is actually a whole lie. It was true that the people took of the plunder, but he spared Agag, king of Amalek. Saul was certainly zealous in commanding his army when it suited him best. Saul was full of fire and zeal when it came to his own will. But when it came to the will of God, he was not into that. Verse 22, Saul, Samuel said, the Lord, has, the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams, which is rebellion, and for rebellion is as a sin of rich, witchcraft, and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. But you have rejected the word of the Lord. He, has, he also has rejected you from being king. Religious observance without obedience is, is empty before God. The best sacrifice we can bring to God is a repentant heart. Psalm 51, 16 through 17 says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Our bodies are surrendered to his service. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. One can make a thousand sacrifices for God, work a thousand hours for his service, or give a million dollars to his work. But all these sacrifices mean little if it's not from a heart that's surrendered totally to God. A surrendered heart to God is shown by simple obedience. In sacrifice, we offer the flesh of another creature. In obedience, we offer our will before God. Martin Luther said, I had rather obey than work miracles. As rebellious, as re as rebellious stubborn heart rejects God, Saul's pro problem was not that he neglected some ceremony. Saul didn't want to surrender to God. Judgment is now pronounced because you have rejected the word of the Lord, and he has rejected you from being the king. Saul rejected God's word, and God rightly rejected him as king over Israel. God saw Saul's, God saw Saul's heart and saw how rebellious and stubborn it was. It looked small on the surface, but it was large under the surface, and God could see it. And Saul was rejected from being king. And that was his final rejection. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. He makes a weak effort toward repentance. I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Saul's statement begins like a genuine confession, but that changes as, he's con as he continues and says, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Saul refused, to let his, Saul refused to own up to his own sin and instead blamed the people who made him do it. Instead of dealing with the deep issues of the heart of the rebellion and stubbornness against God, Saul, Saul thought that a word from Samuel could fix everything. But a word or two from Samuel would not change the settled nature of Saul's heart. God knew that Saul's heart was full of rebellion. That is something that no man could know with certainty from looking on the outside. But God knew it. He told Samuel, a simple please pardon my sin would not do when the, when the heart was settled in rebellion and sin against the Lord. Verse 26 says, But Samuel said to the Lord, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned away around to go away. Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor 
who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Samuel had nothing more to say on this matter. There was nothing more to talk about. And Samuel would not worship a Saul because Saul would no doubt include the animals for the sacrifice that Saul wickedly spared from the Amalekites. Saul's desperate action provides a vivid object lesson on how the kingdom was torn away from him. And as useless as a torn piece of robe was in his hand, so now is his leadership of that nation. Saul might thought there is a way out of this. But Samuel let him know there was nothing he could do. This was permanent. Samuel reminds Saul that the Lord is determined in his purpose and is strong, and is strong in his will. There will be no change. The Lord God was the strength of Israel and Saul needed to hear that. Saul was not concerned for the favor of God but his own honor and power with Israel. Samuel has to carry out God's will. Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously and said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as a sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Singers and musicians, could you come? Go ahead and begin to play something. The issue was not yet resolved for Samuel. There was still the matter of Saul's incomplete obedience. God made the command to utterly destroy all of Amalek, even if Saul didn't obey it. And Agag makes a plea with Samuel by saying the bitterness of death has surely passed. Sadly, it had not. Samuel makes it clear that Agag was not innocent, was not an innocent bystander when it came to the evilness that the Malachites inflicted on Israel. Agag was the wicked and violent leader of a wicked and violent people, and God's judgment was going to be delivered. Samuel was a priest and had officiated at at least hundreds of animal sacrifices. He knew how it felt when the blade cut into flesh, but he had never killed another person. Now that without hesitation, the old prophet raises a sword and brought it down upon this proud, violent king. Scripture, and scripture says, and Samuel did it before the Lord. This was not done before Saul to show him how weak he, or, and proud he was. This was not done before Israel to show them how strong and tough Samuel was. This was before the Lord in explicit obedience to the Lord God. There's three things I want to leave with you before we, before we come to the altar. Number one, Saul teaches us how not to respond to disobedience. He was caught in the act he blamed others. He made excuses. He even had a somewhat of a confession. The right way to respond to sin against God is displayed by David. When Nathan the prophet confronted him, he simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. And he confesses with no strings attached. And then he accepts the consequences. Number two. God's patience has an end. And then judgment comes. God was very patient with Saul. He, he, said, he told Saul, do what I tell you and your kingdom will be established forever over Israel. But Saul chose to disobey God's specific commands over and over. And judgment finally came. 
When we are not obeying God, we are testing God's patience with us. Paul tells us in Romans 2, 4 that God's patience and kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. But if we do not repent, eventually we will be be judged. Number three, God demands our full obedience. Saul gave partial obedience to God. But partial obedience is no different than complete disobedience. We don't get to pick and choose which parts of God's will we put into practice. An outward expression of perceived good will not make up for the disobedience toward God. God delights in a heart set on loving him, expressed in careful obedience to the word. Would you stand and bow your heads? The story that I just told you is about obedience. And that partial obedience is indeed disobedience. Which is sin. And that sin separates you from a holy God. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible tells us that for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. It also tells us that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It tells us that by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not of of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Jesus said to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, Where are thine accusers? She was caught in the act. They had her red-handed. She said, there are none. He said, neither do I condemn thee. But watch this. He gave her a command by saying, go and sin no more. He knew who she was and he knew her sin, yet he showed grace and he forgave her. You may be in this place this morning. You may have that hidden sin that you've got tucked away in your heart. You've got it hidden from everybody. God knows. He sees all. And he's calling you today to come lay it at his feet. He's telling you to get rid of it. It will separate you from God. Sin will separate you from God. Any sin will separate you from God. Would you come find a place to pray as the singers and musicians sing?